Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of In the Finest Hour, even more special than our normal episodes. I am your usual host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and with me I have only one half of our hosting team, Shaylin Owen, our good podcast host. Hey! Ben is unfortunately not with us today because of uh, well, scheduling issues, really. Uh, I'm sure as many of you understand, this this whole world situation has things kind of topsy-turvy, so we're doing our best to deal with that. But we have just stumbled across some of the preliminary rules releases for Ninth Edition, and we figured that a lot of folks would be interested to hear our thoughts on that, what's changed, what's different, what's interesting. Uh, so we're just going to kind of do a, a, a quick hot takes episode where we fire off some thoughts on this as we read through it. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, the, we got different leak sources and they weren't in order at all. So this yeah, isn't going to be in order either. Maybe a little bit disjointed. We're going to kind of try and keep it organized, but this is really just going to be kind of our first responses to the rules. We are definitely going to do a much more in-depth look at many of these subjects when it comes around later on. Uh, but I know a lot of people are hungry for ninth edition info, so let's just go ahead and dive right into this whole thing. Right. Uh, so we had already seen a lot of this. Uh, we kind of knew that, you know, they're adding the command phase ahead of the movement phase. It seems to really just be a, a spot for sort of cleaning up and putting all of the at the start of the turn stuff that was going to happen before. Um, so probably not a lot of things happening there, but it, it does kind of solidify all that and stops all the shenanigans with like start of movement versus start of turn versus all that other nonsense. I, I will add that uh, from what I saw of the Ninth Edition rules, there's a lot of cleanup of the little nuanced stuff. They've made yes. things very clear and deliberate, which is fantastic. Just from reading through the rules, it's very easy to see that like their format is that they will have a couple paragraph explanation of each rule, and then they will have a like two to four bullet point thing that has just the very bare bones. Here's what it is. Here's how it works. Um, and that's actually quite useful, I think. I think they've really pared down the formatting, stepped away from the, like, narrativist, like, your units can prepare to raise their flags and charge into the enemy, shouting as they go. And now they're like, you declare a charge by choosing a unit within 12 inches of the enemy, and your own do this and that and this. Um, so that's very good for just making the rules clear. It steps away from some of the terminology that can get confusing or annoying um, and just makes everything really clear cut that that really shows where the playtesters stepped in and helped them pare the rules down to uh, a, a, a much more readable format. Uh, and the whole thing is still only what, like maybe 30 pages or so. It was, uh, it's it was not 40. Long. 40? Okay, yeah, it's it's not long even compared to the supposedly six-page version of the 8th Ed rules, uh, which were significantly longer than that, but, uh, you know, the full rules here are not that big, even. No, it, it's actually pretty easily chewable, especially with those bullet points where it's like, flip yeah. through, um, the other nice thing about these paragraphs is they describe the intention of what they're doing. Yes. And the other big big swath thing I had after reading it was Games Workshop has gone down to you select a unit, 
you activate it, you do its thing in that phase, and then you're done with that unit for the whole phase, and that's consistent across everything now. I really yes. like that. We're, we're, we're going to talk a little more about that in several places, but I think that is a, a good way to prevent confusion and problems. Um, so let's kind of start going through the phases. Was there anything in the command phase that jumped out to you as uh, particularly interesting or, or noteworthy? Um, the fact that everyone, if they have a bound force, gets a CP now is a thing. Um, yeah. So so it's kind of an interesting concept. Uh, having played with the generate a CP a turn thing that Grey Knights get, that mm-hmm. really changes how you look at CP during the game. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a good thing overall. And I think that the command points being kind of fixed in place for everyone is like, okay, well, you're now not being punished for taking certain kinds of forces. Yeah, there still is some variability there, but it's no longer like it's not it's not like you play custodes. So you just start with five command points and that's it. Uh, Mm -hmm. The gaining one CP per turn was also interesting to me because I had initially heard that is only for uh, forces of 2000 points or higher. uh, But it is, in fact, all battle forged armies. Uh, So if you're playing a small army like a, a 500 point, but combat patrol where you don't start with very com- many command points gaining one CP per, per turn is actually pretty big mm-hmm. um but yeah the, the command phase is pretty small uh what did what did you see in the uh movement phase that jumped out to you uh mostly the tightening of the nuanced definition of what movement is uh mm, yeah, and the types d- of eliminating movement. like Standard yeah, delaying move. a normal movement, a yeah. fallback movement, an advance movement, right. and really like making those explicit. Yes, um, that was big. That was big. It's like they they just sat there and they tightened the bolts, and there's no longer a lot of ambiguity there, and it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm not going into um, the details of that, but I can just say it's tightened the bolts. It's real specific what it is, and that's nice. They also added remain stationary as a type of movement. Um, which sort of like that, that sets down a very solid definition for what that means. It's like, if you choose to remain stationary, that's a thing now, not like a weird, like, well, I was stationary here, but not there. So does that mean that like, so no, it's like, if you remain stationary, that's a game turn. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that they did in this is movement phase related is strategic reserves. It actually has rules now. Yes, it has a specific time when it happens. It is part of the core rules as opposed to like a weird mashed play thing or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or different data sheet by data sheet because that was the thing we had before. And it's like, well, they wanted to make rules about deep strike in general. It's like now right. they have a place to do that if they need to turn that knob. And they still have the flexibility to alter those for specific units, but now there is a generic set of reserve rules that's just like, this is how all reserves work if they don't say otherwise. Yes, and all uh, armies can reserve now. Yes, which is, uh, I, I like that, that I, I like that there's a cost attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll hit that one again later, but I, I appreciate that it is an option. Yes. Um, a couple other small things that I uh, noticed in the movement section. Um, Titanic units can innately fall back and still be able to shoot or cast psychic powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just built into the Titanic keyword, which is probably good because every single Titanic unit had some variation of that. 
Um, and that just being a standard thing that's built into the rules now saves them a lot of extra text. Yes. Uh, also, notably, they covered uh, rules for embarking and disembarking. And the intriguing thing is, if something blows up, characters can't heroically intervene after having escaped in a blown up vehicle. Yes, which is a real corner case, but it was it was a thing. Yeah. Um, so this is to remind people to read the rules carefully, because that's a nuanced thing in the paragraphs, but not in the bullet points. Uh, something's even more interesting to me about uh, embarking and disembarking. Um, you can't embark on a transport that is engaged in combat. Yes. Uh, that It's not like a huge thing, but that's definitely going to come up. Um, another thing that, uh, is sort of falls out of the, the movement section. If you fall back, you don't get to cast psychic powers. Yes. That uh, is that's, that's pretty big. That's quite big. Uh, uh it really does limit psychers a lot more. Yeah. It, it means you have to be a little more careful with what you're doing there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, well, since we're, we're sort of there, why don't we go on to the, uh, psychic phase, uh, yes. with one of the changes that you had mentioned earlier is the, uh, doing things unit by unit. Yes. So this is big because previously I could cast one power on Voldis, go cast a bunch of other powers and then go back to Voldis, cast another power, cast some more power somewhere else and then go back to Voldis again. Yeah. That's not a thing anymore. I have to do everything Voldis is going to do, and then I move on. So it means that the powers I choose have to be in um, in mindfulness of order of operations. Yeah, because one thing you'd often see before was, like, I'll cast a Death Hex from here, and then I'll cast another power over here, and then I'll do a Smite here... That that don't fly now more. If you are going to consistently want powers to go off in a certain order, you're going to need to make sure they are on the right characters. And uh, admittedly, that only matters for characters that are doing like two or three powers in a turn, which are not that common. Um, but it's absolutely a thing that people did. Um, yes. And Honestly, I like it a lot because it just makes things simpler. It, it, there's no more of this like, wait, did I cast his second power or did I smite or did I give it up for something else? Exactly. It's just like you do one unit, you do everything, you move on. Yeah, and as I said, this is consistent through all phases. It's yes. you activate something, you move on. You activate something, you move on. I think overall for game health, it's better. It does mm-hmm. deeply change actually how Grey Knights approach the psychic phase, so that'll be a cool challenge when I get there, but... Yeah, it's, I don't think it's necessarily, like, obviously it does weaken them a little bit because it limits their options, but I don't feel like it's going to be a huge debuff to them. It's just going to mean that they have to be more careful how they choose their powers. Yes, that, that's what I mean. It's, it's more of that, that's where the, where it's gonna, like, break and make a good player is like, alright, how, where do you put your powers? How do you select them? Absolutely. Um, aircraft, I'm sure most people have seen the aircraft rules by now. They really just cleaned that whole thing up. There's no more of this, like, having to fall back, but then you also ignore the penalties for falling back, but then you still have to move closer and all that. Like, you you, you basically get to pretend that aircraft don't exist. Yes. Uh, also, they added that they can fly off the table, go into strategic reser- reserves, and return, because they have rules yes. for that now. 
Yes, which is it, it means no more crashing airplanes by placing units in weird spots, uh, which is going to benefit those like the really big airplanes quite a bit, uh, as that could be a serious danger to them. Um, but aircraft are still kind of an afterthought. Like they're there, but the game only sort of supports them. You're probably not going to see them in huge numbers. No. Uh. What else do we got here? Oh, yeah, uh, an interesting thing that uh, I noticed that was a change for those of you who listened to our episode on heroic interventions. Uh, you can no longer heroically intervene when you are within engagement range. Which is now a half an inch as opposed to an inch. Yes, that's there's some complication there that uh, it I think think it is just half an inch for everyone. Uh, and that is also the distance you have to be within a friendly model who is within half an inch of the enemy. Yeah. Uh, so that, that will kind of shorten things up. Uh, it definitely means that you won't see any more orcs fighting in three ranks, which thank the Lord, uh, that was absurd. Um, yeah, but, uh, uh, aside from that also, uh, very interestingly, Heroic interventions, you can perform one while within five inches of someone vertically, but you can still only move three inches. I'm not sure why that text is there. Maybe someone cleverer than I will illuminate that for me, but it just so, it seemed like a very odd little clause. Um, this is jumping ahead a lot. They actually defined a lot of things like objective markers. Objectives are now a standard 40 millimeter size. Yeah. And the range on them is three inches around their edges and five inches up. I yes. think that's where those numbers came from is to mimic the objective thing. Yeah, they um, seem to have like that's very consistent. You know, coherency is is uh, th- five inches vertically as well. That seems to be just like when you measure vertically, it's five inches. Um it's just, it was a very strange thing because if you only have a three inch movement and you're within five inches of them, you still can't heroically intervene because you can't get within engagement range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was weird. Um, but, uh, and it might be relevant because there are characters that can heroically intervene six inches, so maybe that's a little more. Yes, but they almost always have a, and also if I am within six inches of them, you know, I can move six and can do it within six. So that text would be redundant there anyways. Anyway, we may, we may find something else you know, buried in the rules that we missed that caused that to make more sense. But uh, Considering these are uh, leaked rules and thus hard to read. Um, yeah, yeah, it's and you're doing our first pass over them. Um, everyone has also likely seen the whole vehicles and monsters shooting while engaged. Uh, you gotta do so at minus one if you have a heavy weapon, and you can't do it at all if you have a blast weapon. Uh, oh, but blast is, weapons. Yes, uh, we'll hit, we'll come back around on that one. That's another one probably most people have seen already, but we'll talk about it in a second here. Um, the whole, uh, character protection has become a formal rule called Lookout Sir. Yes. Uh, it's significantly easier to bypass now. Uh, as you have to be within three inches of a unit that is either a vehicle or monster or has at least three models. That's that's deeply important. So it's no longer that lone guardsman protecting all the characters. That's gone. Yes. Uh, if the character is still the nearest to you, you can still target them. That's still the same as it was before. Yes. And uh, they're, they're, it's just, again, tightening. Very lovely tightening there. 
Yeah, there is one small flaw in it that some people have noticed is uh, if if you were the nearest, then you're then you could then uh, if they don't have a unit within three inches, you can ignore the whole nearest thing. Um, and if they're if they have you you ignore nine or more wounds for some things, but not for others. So you can get into a weird situation where two characters with nine wounds can protect each other, uh, even though there's no other units within three inches, as long as there's a unit that is closer. Yes. Um, I expect that will get cleaned up in an FAQ very quickly because it's like the first thing that a ton of people were like, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. Um so we can expect that to get FAQ'd out very, very soon. But for the time being, it is technically uh, technically correct and allowable. Yes. Drago and Voldis can hold hands and protect each other. They can't because they are neither vehicles nor monsters. Um, oh, yeah. You need to be a oh, character. Oh, Samuel on a land vehicle. speeder can yes. go protect Azrael. Samuel, Samuel can protect Azrael, or two demon princes can protect each other, but uh, regular characters can't protect each other. Um, actually, let's, let's go ahead and d- dip into blast weapons here. Uh, again, this is one most people have heard about already. Uh, blast weapons are exactly what you would think they are if you remember 6th and 7th edition. Um, there's a whole list of which ones they are, and it pretty much includes all the candidates you were assuming. Uh, but they do better against larger units. Yes. Uh, so basically Games Workshop has, uh, given everybody the rule, so if the unit is, I believe it's like six to, uh, six to ten, yeah. Six to ten, you get three at your lowest, so a one and two count as a three. So that mm-hmm. means they've shaved off like the really shitty rolls there. And yeah. then if it's eleven plus, uh, it's automatically full. So yeah. I like that conceptually. It's like, okay, now these weapons feel thematic and they aren't shitty some of the time. It is definitely going to hurt Horde some. Um, we'll see exactly how much, because there's still missions and stuff that we haven't seen, but uh, this is potentially a detriment to Horde units, or even to going above like basic five-man units for a lot of armies. Yes. Uh, uh, also, the morale phase changes. Might yes, be we'll, we'll come around that. to that at the end, because there's pretty big changes there. Oh, yeah. Um... Oh, yeah, another uh, little thing that I noticed that was a nice just kind of, like, clean up. Uh, if someone heroically intervenes into you after you've charged them, you're still allowed to attack them. That's um, nice. Which, with the way, with uh, multi-charges being more difficult, um, that that definitely is a bonus. For those of you who haven't seen, multi-charges have to succeed against every target of the charge, not just one of them. Uh, so they definitely are quite a bit more difficult to achieve now. Yes, uh, or have to be done with more care. Um, yes, it's it's still certainly possible to do so, but you're no longer just like, I declare charge on everything within 12 of me. Yeah, you can't do that with your smash captain anymore with the wings. That's a dumb idea now. Yes, that's that's a real good way to fail your charges. <laughs> um Oh, another one that was uh, kind of a kind of a cleanup and probably like removing a weird uh, rule that wasn't intended. You can only use the basic close combat weapon for slapping people if you have no other weapons or can't use your other weapons. Um, yeah. So no more having a knight walk up and pat you lightly on the face because it doesn't want to destroy a unit. Yes, uh, and that's fair. Um, I I don't mind that. Um, yeah, 
it was it was one of those things that you could do before players used it fairly often it never really felt right it felt very silly so removing that is probably for the better oh yeah um bold is slightly slapping someone was hilarious mm-hmm. <laughs> um so uh so they also did order of operations. So when uh, attacks inflict both normal damage and mortal wounds, such as a sniper shot, you inflict the yeah. normal damage and resolve that first, and then you resolve the mortal wounds. Which is actually the opposite of how it used to be, interestingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a kind of a, an odd little change. I don't hate it. Uh, it's just an, an interesting thing that like they flip-flopped completely on that, and I'm not entirely certain why, but... Uh, you know, it, it, it's not as though it makes a tremendous difference one way or the other. So it's interesting to see. Um, mm-hmm. another little one that, uh, they changed that is kind of a subtle one. When you're allocating, uh, successful attacks to a model, uh, that mm-hmm. is attacks that have both hit and wounded, mm-hmm. um, which is their new terminology. They've moved away from successful wounds because then you had you wound and then you have a wound and then the wound wounds and then the yeah. wound removes from your wounds. Uh, they've cleaned up that terminology quite a lot, which I appreciate. Um, so when a successful attack is allocated to a model, um, you have to keep allocating those attacks to that model for the rest of the phase or until it dies. Um, so this which, is important. Um, for example, in a unit where you have multiple saves, what we, people would do is they say, okay, well, we'll take all the heavy saves on the models with the big saves and then take all the light attacks we care less about on the griblies. That's what this deals with. Yes. Uh, and also, especially when you, yet when you have those mixed types of attacks, it's like, you know, the plasma's here and the other one's here and, okay, so yeah, I'm gonna put the plasma on these guys and then the other one's on these guys and it's like, okay. Uh, and you can still do that to some degree, it's just you, you have to kill a model before you change where the saves are going. Mm-hmm. Um, so for any kind of unit that has mixed profiles, this becomes a lot more important. Yes. Um, notably, uh, let's see, uh, I'm, I'm just picking this one out. Uh, so in the fight phase, mm-hmm. your opponent is the one who starts with the picking, which I yes. think is a very interesting delineation, probably to compensate for the fact that charging units always fight first. Right. So after all the charges are over that you get to control, your opponent gets to start selecting who's fighting next. And very importantly, units that have an always fights first ability will strike, or at least one of them will strike before any charging units. Uh, because that opponent picks first thing also applies there. Yeah. Um, so if you charge into a squad of slanesh demons or something like that, expect to take some casualties. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of a cool little thing there. It's it certainly makes those abilities vastly more worthwhile. Uh yeah. because wow, they were bad before and GW I don't think really realized that because they kept handing them out. Uh suddenly a lot of warlord traits just got way better. Oh yeah. And uh units that were kind of middling before are now more engaging. It's like, well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to put all these Slanesh units in front. Why? You want to charge my line, buddy? <laughs> right. Uh, it, it really does make 
charging into those units kind of scary in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which I okay, like. let's let's do morale and attrition. Uh, yes. This is another rule that has gotten spoiled by GW. They they put out the text of it in in advance here, but it is a pretty major overhaul for how this sort of thing worked previously. So I think it's worth talking through. Uh, Shailene, you want to give us the text there? Okay, um, I don't actually have it in front it, of me, it doesn't but I can give exact, you the gist. Yeah, you, you, know, you know what it does. Ah, <laughs> uh, your autistic friend again. Um, yes. So, so the gist is, uh, morale is you, you roll a d6, you subtract, uh, uh, casualties, or you add uh, casualties. Yeah, it's d6 plus casualties, just d6 like before, plus casualties, compared to your uh, leadership. leadership. That's normal. If you fail a morale check, you lose a model automatically. Just one. Right. And then you do what's called an attrition check, and you roll a d6 for each remaining model in the unit, and on a roll of a 1, another guy runs away. Yes. And if you are below half strength, there is an additional minus 1 penalty to that attrition check, so they'll be running on 1s and 2s. Yes. Uh, This is really interesting in how it kind of plays out for different kinds of units, uh, because, for example, on, say, like a, a five-man unit, um, if you just take enough to, like, take a really basic morale check, uh, you know, sort of a fail on a six thing. Oh, you also automatically succeed on a one was another small addition. Yes. Um, uh, not super big, but it is there. Is like there's an auto pass now. Yes. Uh, but for, like, a small five-man unit... Um, you have the potential to lose the whole unit now on a failed morale check. It's like, oh, I rolled a six. That means one guy roll runs, and now I roll four dice, and every one is another guy. You can absolutely roll four ones there. It's not super likely, but it's absolutely possible. Yeah. Um. So there, there's a thing. Um. The other thing that I noticed there is they also put cohesion check into the end of the morale phase. Yeah. And uh, the big thing here is that any unit models that are no longer in cohesion at the end of the cohesion check have to be removed from play. Yes. If you're anything that is not in coherency, you have to start pulling models until everyone is in coherency in a single blob. Um, and we didn't talk about it a lot, but coherency is now two models within two inches, not one model. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is going to make stringing out big lines a lot harder. Um, some people have said it's just like, oh, well, you'll just put, you know, you'll do a normal line because every guy in the line except the ones on the end have two models and the guys in the end, you just put two next to each other and they fulfill it. And it's like, that's great until you lose a single model to casualties and now almost your entire line gets pulled as casualties because uh, you do it successively. It's like pull a model. Are you in cohesion? If no, keep pulling models until you are. Your lines are going to have to be two men deep. Or uh, the other version I've seen is you alternate ones and twos. Mm-hmm. Um, you do a single, a double, a single, a double, a single, a double. Mm-hmm. And that means that the most guys you can ever have to pull is one from a cohesion check. Um, yeah. And it, it has essentially uh, three quarters the uh, or two thirds, no, three quarters of the uh, the the needed number of models. So it allows you to string out further. Uh, but really, it just limits how much you can string out significantly. Uh, and that's the other kind of thing, thing it eliminates is pulling models from mid-squad. 
Yes. Unless you're willing to sacrifice the end that's floating out there. Right, which you don't want to do very often, I think, especially given the way objectives and whatnot are scored. Uh, they are typically scored at the beginning of the turn rather than at the end. So if you start pulling models, you ain't getting that objective. <gasps> yeah. Um... Oh, also on the subject of of uh, objectives, fortifications and flyers can't hold objectives. How nice. I we, just we kind of, there. Yeah, we kind of knew that was what they meant anyways, but now they're very explicit about it. Yes. Um, understrength units are back is another thing I noticed. Yeah. Um, you can only have one of each type of unit under strength. Um... They work basically like they did in previously before they got all FAQ'd into weirdness where, you, you know, you can have them in a normal detachment and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if it gets abused again. I'm kind of not expecting that it does because the uh, the value of them is really only in very niche cases. Yeah. Um, but you can have an understrength version of each unit in your army in, if you really want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. They also put the max refund CP a turn thing in the official it's, rules. Yep, just in a, the core rules. Uh, a lot of, like, the uh, – this is just a general swap there. A lot of the things they added to 8th edition to kind of balance the tournament scene got implemented into the official ninth rules. So that's yeah. an example of one of them. Yep. And we've, we've talked about a bunch of others, a version of those players we'll probably recognize as well. But those are all just core rule stuff now. Yes. Um – Detachments, they work differently now. Yeah, they do. Um, so, as we mentioned already, everyone starts with 12 CP. You pay CP to get a detachment, which is kind of an interesting reversal. Um, but some detachments, specifically the patrol, battalion, and brigade, uh, will refund you those CP if your warlord is in them. And the Supreme Command Detachment, which has also changed drastically, uh, can also refund you your CP in a weird sort of way. Uh, also notably, you are only allowed to have one Primarch slash Demon Primarch in that detachment, so no more Magnus Bro. Yeah, the Supreme Command is now a... Uh, it's a one slot, like, so you wanted to bring a, uh, a big guy kind of thing. Uh, lets you bring along that one HQ or Lord of War model that fits under a very specific set of criteria and will refund you the CP because they have to be your warlord. That's yes. uh, it's an interesting change to that. You also can't have more than one. But if you really want to play with, like, a Bash Brothers detachment, you can still do that. It's just going to cost you some CP. Um, uh, we had not seen yet, but a lot of people speculated the Vanguard Spearhead and Outrider detachments are all three CP apiece, uh, which is the same as a battalion is, mm-hmm. um, and they do not refund you for having your Warlord in them. So if you're building your army out of, uh, Vanguards and Spearheads and whatnot, you are just going to be down some CP. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is significant. Yeah. Um... So also, like, they they specified some stuff about fortification networks. For example, if you take a fortification right. network and uh, the f- it has the same faction as your warlord, refund a CP. Right. So they're, they're not otherwise... punishing you to yeah, take your Nurgle tree. 
yes, they're a lot lot simpler to bring along. They cost one CP otherwise, which is not that much. Um, they don't benefit from faction abilities, which is probably a good kind of like uh, future-proofing sort of thing because they're starting to make a lot more faction-based uh, – uh, fortifications. Yeah. And it would be real weird to sort of like have your space marine fortification that's like, oh yeah, and by the way, uh, this thing gives me access to all the space marine stratagems and also it benefits from Guillemin's aura. And, you know, it's like I can fall back with my fortification and shoot now. And it's like, oh wait, hold on. I don't think that's what that's supposed to do. Um, Ew. so yeah, they just don't benefit from all those abilities. Hopefully we see them update the fortifications to not be utterly worthless. I'd really like to be able to bring a fortification someday. We could be Team Fortress of Redemption again. Yes. <laughs> uh, the Super Heavy Detachment is 3 or 6 CP. Um, 3 if you have no Titanic units in it, 6 if you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does not give a refund unless you are a Knights player, in which case it does give a refund. So good job, Knights players. You are not being shot in the foot for existing. Yes. Uh, it's it, it it's a nice little nod to their old abilities that allows them to play the same game as everyone else. Yes. Um, so, oh, oh um, speaking of abilities, uh, stratagems yeah. have the, the core stratagems have expanded, which is fantastic. I really like that. Yeah. Uh, the- also, command reroll has had a big, deep change. Yes, it is no longer just any re-roll in the, any role in the game. It is now specifically hits, wounds, damage, random shots, advance, charge, deny, and psychic. Oh, and saves. Yes. Um, so all of the basic rolls from the game, you can re-roll, and, uh, still cost one CP, and it lets you re-roll the whole roll now. Um, which is to say one hit roll, one wound roll, one psychic test, etc., rather than one die from the roll. Um, yes. That's going to catch a lot of people off guard, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. The emergency disembarkation is a strat now rather than just a thing that happens. Um, kills guys on a one or a two when the transport is destroyed, but lets you get out six inches rather than three. Uh, so it becomes pretty impossible to trap you there. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine that was just kind of put in to avoid feel bads. Um, yeah. same reason that the, uh, I can't remember the name, the, uh, fallback and out of a try point strat was added. Yeah. Um, they, they avoid these situations. They were like a, a player who's more knowledgeable about the game gets you and gets you with this gotcha move and you're just like, oh wow, that sucks. I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, it's still, it still is bad for you, but you, you have something you can do. Yes. Uh, that, that was kind of the response from some of these I felt was basically like, what they're trying to do is level the playing field where getting gotcha isn't the end of your game. Right. Uh, you still have things you can do even if they are suboptimal at that point. Yes. Um, oh, uh, another really, really, really big one. Insane Bravery, the auto pass a morale check for 2 CP. That stratagem is once per battle now. Mm hmm. That, that really changes some stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, there are many factions that would spam it turn 
turn by turn. So that's, yep. that's and probably you would not have seen quite as much of that just because of more limited CP and all that sort of thing. But um, it's it's definitely going to be one of those things you got to keep in mind where like you only get that once. So that really ups the value of some of the uh, uh, morale shoring up abilities that factions have. Yes, and things like Sisters of Battles, uh, they they can can they still do that? No, or is it that just replacing the dice? Never mind. I'm confusing them with old rules. Uh, but old rules. you you can uh, you can you yeah you were thinking the old one to ignore morale, but they can still just use a one to pass morale there. Yes, because a one will pass. Um, so, Axe of Fate still works kind of the way it used to in its weird way. In its own weird way, yes. Also, oh, a good use was... for a one for Act of Faith. Yes. Uh, so here's another one that jumped out as me as being really big for a lot of players. We'll change how everyone plays, because this was such a variable thing. But Warlord traits, psychic powers, pre-battle choices, pre-battle stratagems, all that kind of stuff. Written on your army roster. Yep. So that does really change, like, cause not all tournaments played it where you could change it from game to game. Um, but all that kind of stuff is now fixed, which means you don't have nearly as much flexibility with it. Yes. And I kind of like that. I, I saw a lot of the rules there. They actually have rules for turn designed for tournament play explicitly. It's like, yes. this is here so that everyone's playing the same tournament experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the presence of the secondaries you can choose and the fact that, like, this is how battle scores work. They even included in one of their previews, like, how to accompany, like, paint points in there and stuff. Yes. And I was like, okay, GW has, like, official tournament rules in the book you can use to run a tournament now. Was that actually for, like, match play tournament games? Or was that, okay, I I didn't see whether that was... It's for a three-round RTT. Okay. Uh, each match is worth 45 points each, and then you add another 10 points if all the models are painted or something like that. Yeah, um, uh, to the the tabletop standard kind of thing. Or I think they have a different the name for color. it, but yeah. I, I yeah, it's essentially the standard that everyone is already using. So, uh, so that's nice. It's like, okay, they want to encourage... Th- th- basically, the difference between a GW tournament and an ITC tournament has shrunk significantly. And probably will be essentially erased entirely. Uh, ITC I, has, I do appreciate. Yeah, they, they've said they're going to be using pretty much all the GW rules more or less straight out of the package. Yeah. Um, so then there's like, no, oh, well, my tournament's running something fun and unique. Well, there'll still be that because, I mean, yeah. you, there's no reason you, not to. You ab- you can still do that. This is just the sort of default suggestion. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about uh, reserves a little bit, because I thought the way they they did that was actually very interesting. Yes. So um, reserves, basically, if you want to reserve with your army and you don't have an innate reserve ability such as Teleportarium Strike, Mm -hmm. um, you need to spend CP to do it. Uh, They did say in the preview that if you have an innate ability, it doesn't cost you CP to use your innate ability. Right. Um, but, uh, and basically the cost of CP is based on the number of points slash power level, depending on what system you're using, to uh, how much you're reserving, basically. And it goes up yeah. the higher you do. 
And it's based on the total cost, not on the number of units or anything like that. So it's like 1 to 9 power level is 1 CP. 10 to 19 is 2, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, up to uh, your your usual limit. Um, yeah. So it's it's very interesting that like cramming a bunch of small units into reserve is pretty doable. Like you can you yeah. can put just a whole crap ton of little like two CP guys into reserve for practically nothing. Yeah. Also, fun fact: you can now reserve knights. Yes. That's you actually can theoretically a thing now. reserve anything. Uh, just costs you more as you more as you go up. Yes. So uh, I like that it's opened uh, options there. They've made clear on when and where you can put things in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically outflank. You come in from a board edge. So it is a little more limited than, say, a deep strike type reserve. But Yes, and that actually gets more or less limited as the game goes on. So, like, if you if you yeah. show up on the second turn, then, you know, you can't go in the enemy deployment zone or on their board edge. And if you show up in the third turn, then you can go in their zone but not in their board edge and, and so on. And you can never show up within nine unless you have a special exception. Yes. So I like how that's changed because it's added it's added some incentive to delay. Um, sure. Uh, and it it means that uh, you, you sort of gain more options as the go- as the game goes on, basically, which is, is nice to see. Like you you if you're hold, you have a good reason to hold things back until that third turn in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I was observing was uh, since they said the core abilities still do their things, so this makes drop pause a certain thing. It's like, well, okay, I can pay points instead of a CP tax to t- to like deep strike something now. Sure. Um. So that's kind of a unique and cool thing. Your aircraft can deep have like relevant things there, which I kind of like. Um, mm-hmm. Again, the the fact that your airplanes can fly off the table and return to play, I'm like that. That's a good return rule. <laughs> yes. N- not having them arbitrarily crash is much better. Again, it avoids that feel bad. It wasn't something that happened often, but it just it felt really stupid when it did. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like my kind of overall swap themes is they, they, they've lessened the impact of gotchas. Mm-hmm. Um, they've made the rules tighter and more explicit. They've given an intention statement and then a rule summary point. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's great. I, I think this is like actually a very sturdy set of rules, and we haven't even touched terrain yet because that's yeah. A thing. Why don't we Why don't we wrap things up just kind of like going through terrain? Because man, when it comes to just being more explicit and having actual rules, I'm not sure anything changed more than terrain did. Holy shit! There's pages of terrain rules. Um, and so terrain's most, broken up into a, a system now. Um, yeah. So um, terrain features are, get keywords, and the keywords have meaning. And then they have, at the very end of the terrain section, here's this type of terrain, and here's the keywords we usually affiliate with it. Right. They give a bunch of examples. Also, notably, there are three types of terrain now. Yes. Hills, obstacles, and area terrain. Everything is one of those three types, uh, and they define very explicitly how those types of terrain give cover, if they do, yes. and 
then the keywords, as Shailen mentioned, are sort of add-ons to those core rules. So you'll say, you know, this is an obstacle with these two keywords, or this is area terrain with these three keywords. And they give examples of many of the GW terrain pieces and say, like, these are the keywords we would play them with. Yeah. Um Interestingly, hills do not give any cover even if they obscure you. Um, yes. I think that is kind of a, an interesting change. I know some people did play it that way. Some people played it differently, but now it's very explicit. Hills don't give cover. But um, they do take up space when you're moving. So that's what they uh, do is they slow down boards because you have to climb over them still. Sometimes, yes. Um, you, you know, you have to measure up and down the length of the hill, but there's not like a, a fixed slowdown or amount or anything. Cause that is a separate ability where Moving through it, difficult terrain is when they call it, um, slows you down by two inches if you move through it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's real simple there. Um, and they've, they've done that sort of like keyword thing. It's like defensible terrain is when you are charged, infantry units either can fire better overwatch or gain a bonus to hit in combat. Uh, that, that's pretty significant. Like plus one to hit ain't nothing. Yeah. Um, also, it means uh, charging into certain emplaced units is going to get a lot more gnarly real fast. Yes. It uh, doesn't automatically let you, as we, we sort of glossed over that earlier. Overwatch is now a stratagem, not just an automatic thing you do all the time. Um, so you would have to make a choice there, but there are certainly some units that are pretty worthwhile to do that with. Also, Tau can still Overwatch normally. They they, they right, preview their, that Tau are, Tau are okay. It's their armor. It's their army rule. Yeah. Um, um, oh, uh, that was, uh, speaking of Overwatch, um, I, and, and the modifiers there, uh, I just remembered, so minuses to hit and bonuses oh, yeah. to hit, cap it plus one, minus one. You can't yep. have a minus three to hit. Yes, and sixes and ones always automatically hit or miss, respectively. Yes. Uh, so, Both kind of like, again, nice little, like, avoid feels bad changes. Yeah, and uh, also, like, I, I'm sorry, but, um, Sean, I really hated playing Eldar and sitting there at minus oh, two yeah. hit the entire time. I was just like, you yeah, know, I'm no, going to kick was, him in the deck one of these days. <laughs> it was it was very non-interactive, and they're trying to move away from that. Yes, Eldar can die like everyone else now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wave Serpents can't, but, you know, that's its own thing. Uh, <laughs> How do you know? You haven't seen their new rules. I probably don't have any new rules. <laughs> um, so, uh, some of the other types of, uh, terrain and changes and things, uh, infantry beasts and swarms are sort of like all consolidated, not into like literally a single keyword, but things that affect one basically always affect the other. Yes. Um, so, you know, infantry beasts and swarms are able to pass through the walls on breachable terrain. Infantry beasts and swarms get cover on area terrain if they are touching it, etc. They've they've sort of moved away from only infantry and given that a little bit more room uh, so you don't get weird stuff like these scarabs are too big to pass through the wall. Wait a minute, aren't they like six inches across? (laughs) Eh. Um, How did Private Johnson squeeze through and the scarabs couldn't? (laughs) Question mark. Uh, The other thing, interestingly, because I have seen that Primaris bikes are coming, Bike keyword is not included in this, so they have definitely made that Yeah, but bikes and cavalry are still distinct. Uh, They do not consolidate all stuff down. Um, But they've sort of, like, moved towards being a little more liberal with that. 
Um, dense terrain uh, is minus one to shoot in or through. Yep. Uh, that's that's pretty big. Just having that as a like built in like thing. It's just like some terrain is dense. It's like oh wow, okay, that's that's a big modifier. Um, yeah. Heavy cover now affects melee. Uh, so you that's have light gonna cover, be which, really interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see uh, exactly how much that changes things. Um, but if you have like a unit of guardsmen on heavy defensible cover, they're surprisingly hard to shift. Um, yeah. If you have, like, Terminators on heavy cover, that's also pretty big. Um, so I'm, I'm very interested in seeing exactly how that all works. Um, because heavy cover doesn't work if they charge you. Um, mm-hmm. So it sort of gives the incentive to the attacker, but then it makes later turns... Uh, be sort of more like going to be a drawn out stalemate. So it'll be very interesting to see how exactly that influences people to move and fight. Yes. Also the, the intriguing thing of rules that say automatically has cover or um, ignores cover and how those are going to start applying to the heavy cover phase. We'll see. Yeah. I'm expecting that they, they will only apply to shooting. Um, because with the exception of the Grey Knights one, they, they pretty much all have a range limit on them, and I'm, I strongly suspect they will give the Grey Knights one a only against shooting attacks thing. Uh, cause presumably they did not intend for you to be invisible in close combat. Yes, uh, but I don't know. Um, it, yes, we, we will see, but that, that would be my guess on the things. Uh, I, I said, I don't know. Um, I, I will point out that, like, the Imperial Fists have the Ignore's cover trait, so it's like, well, um, do they just punch people in heavy cover the same as they shoot them? I don't know. Possibly. I would give that one a little more credence, but even, even still, it's, uh, I, I, I feel like it, they're gonna, a lot of those things are going to be for shooting only. We'll, we'll see exactly how it pans out. Uh, but really the big takeaway here on terrain is that there are a ton of like mix and match keywords that, uh, you can, you can give to different t- terrain pieces that give them various relevant abilities. And there's even a bunch that we didn't go over that are all like, you know, scalable and inspiring and a bunch of things like these, um, that all affect how these pieces of terrain function. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you're going to see a lot more, uh, tournaments do where they're just going to say like, okay, you know, there's a piece of paper on the P on the table and it has all of the different terrains and their keywords on it. So everyone knows what things do. And there's no arguments about whether that should count as line of sight blocking or whether that's obscuring or whether that's dense or what it is. It just, you look at the piece of paper and it has the keywords on it. Yes. Again, like they, they tightened rules up. They, they're trying to make it so that it's friendly for the tournament experience and for the narrative experience because there's like just less ambiguity in general. Well, and the, this keyword system also opens up more options for narrative where, um, you can have things like once the smokestack is activated, it becomes obscuring. It's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. The yeah. smoke obscures them. Um, yeah. It gives a system that you can build the narrative through. Yes. Uh, and that was one of the other things I noticed is, uh, 
and this is why the argument of tightening the rules benefits everybody mm-hmm. um, is the keyword system on terrain. It's like, okay, now terrain can change thematically. Now mm-hmm. you can build a more like, well, ruin doesn't quite cover what I need it to. So I can add these other two rules. And now this terrain is perfect. Right. It does a lot of that. Um, and uh, they, they were commenting cause they, I haven't seen the previews for this, but they apparently have a um, narrative system now. Actual hard rules on that. Yes, they've previewed small chunks of it. Um, that it's essentially like a campaign system. Um, they've tried this in the past. We'll see how it works this time. I have a little more faith given that they have a little better playtesting. Yes. Um, in the in the past, they've struggled with it a lot, but I'm hopeful that this one will work better. Yes, and I'm actually hopeful that if they intend to keep power level as part of the game, they'll actually, like, keep... If they adjust points, they also adjust power level kind of deal. They've explicitly said they will. Oh, good, because power level was just kind of like... It It was an afterthought of 8th edition, really. Yeah. And it affected some armies way more than it affected anybody else. Yes. Um... Well, I think that basically covers all of the big stuff. Was there anything you wanted to say in wrap up here? Um, I'm pleased. My overall thought is this is just this is eighth edition 2.0, and it's just mm-hmm. better. Yeah. Everything about this has pleased me. Um, there was nothing in there I thought was stupid. Um, besides yeah. the little niche cases that I'm certain just get tightened really quick. Um. But it's just like, no, this feels like a solid set of rules. It's basically like 8th edition rules were so tiny they didn't cover everything. And this one's like, okay, now we're covering everything. Mm-hmm. And that's what it – and they just tightened down. It's fantastic. Looking forward to 9th edition. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to play. Yeah, I think my really big like thing from looking this – and obviously we have not seen everything. We still have to look through the mission packs. We still have to look through the points adjustments and stuff like that. But – from the core set of rules, I read through that and there was nothing that stood out to me as that's stupid. Why did they do that? And this is maybe the first edition that's ever been true. Um, there are a couple things where I'm like, well, that's interesting. I'm not sure how that will affect the game, but I've never had an edition where I looked at it and said, I don't see any mistakes. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen as many editions as you, but I. Yeah, that's You've true. You've still been around for a pretty fair while. You are not a greenhorn to this game. No, uh, I first codex I, book I opened up was 5th edition, and then 6th dropped the next weekend. Good job, me. Yeah, so you, <laughs> you've been through three full editions at this point. You have a good basis to make judgments in the game. Well, I mean, 9 is my favorite number, so of course it's probably going to be my favorite edition now. Oh, Zinchian. Uh, no. I just like 9. <laughs> oh, yes, that's what all the Zinch say. Um, all right. Well, hopefully, uh, everyone found this kind of interesting and informative. Uh, it is a little bit of a prelude to our coming back and being able to resume the broadcast proper as we kind of realign our schedules and some semblance of the game starts happening again. Uh, likely you'll see, uh, one or two more of these little kind of short hot take episodes, uh, before we, uh, start doing full length, uh, full planning, full everything, proper episodes of the podcast again. Yes. Uh, with some combination of hosts. 
yes, it may be a little mix and match here for a while just due to uh, trying to get all our schedules on short notice. Uh, but uh, hopefully everyone appreciated this uh, little take on things. I know we are not the only ones doing it, but we like to think we have at least some unique insight into things. So uh, I hope you all enjoyed this. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you again, hopefully before too long. Hopefully see you ninth edition smiling. Heh. <laughs>